Good morning, fellas. You know, my name is Charlie Ungamak. I'm kicking back right now with a hot cup of coffee on Saturday morning. My mu- hashtag mug life coffee mug. Uh, drinking only the best. If it wasn't, if it wasn't roasted on, uh, if it wasn't roasted in River West, it's not a real cup of coffee. Uh, so we're we're <laughs> we're rocking out this morning. The, the uh, Saturday morning coffee for real. I hope that you're enjoying your Saturday morning or whatever day you're listening to this. I pray that the Lord finds you blessed, um, that you're continuing to walk with Jesus as you should. This podcast is geared at young men who want to grow as men of God, be the men that God created them to be. This is my personal project because I want to be the man I was created to be, and I want to share that journey with you. This episode of the Gird Up Podcast is sponsored by the Christ for Disciples Podcast. Now, you all know that I love Pastor Paul. Pastor Paul is a friend of mine. I adore the work that he's doing, and I adore the man himself. Uh, he's a wonderful guy, a wonderful man of God. And five days a week, he applies God's word to raising the next generation. Take 10 minutes each weekday to listen to the Christ for Disciples podcast and get direction and gospel power to disciple the youngest generation. Subscribe to the Christ for Disciples podcast at ChristForDisciples.com or on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else. That's ChristForDisciples.com. As I've said before, that's a daily listen for me. Great devotion on the way to school. Great opportunity to get my head right, to get my heart right before I bring the word of the Lord to the children in my classroom each day. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by the Iron Men of God Conference. Now, I'm going to be at the Iron Men of God Conference because I'm presenting at the Iron Men of God Conference, which is super exciting to me, but you need to know more about it. You see, these men, every day, Christian men, face challenges in our increasingly post-Christian world. One of the most important challenges men face is defining what it means to be a Christian man living in this world. Iron Men of God, formed in 2014 by a group of laymen from St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Exonia, Wisconsin, works to address this challenge through the Iron Men of God Men's Conference. Each year, the Iron Men of God Men's Conference speakers help attendees sharpen and strengthen their faith by using God's Word to clearly define our roles as husbands, fathers, sons, and leaders in our families, churches, and communities. Attendees are also encouraged in their faith by their fellow brothers in Christ. Join us for our conference this year and be strengthened and encouraged in your faith as well. I'm really looking forward to this conference, and it's coming up soon now, less than a month away. The 7th Annual Christian Men's Conference put on by Iron Men of God is on Saturday, March 21st, 2020 from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. I'm one of the speakers. There's a bunch of other wonderful men as well. This week's interview, Pastor uh, Mark Parsons is also one of the presenters at the Iron Men of God Conference. So make sure you get there. Uh, It'll be a blessing to see you there. I know that they would love to have you. And this year, high school and college-aged men can register for free. So even if you can't make it, send your young men out to learn more about the will of the Lord and what it means to live out our calling as men of God. (sighs) Join us and hear God's word aimed straight at men and enjoy a delicious catered lunch and worship with your brothers in Christ. Let's get started with the show. You are listening to the Gird Up Podcast. To gird up is an ancient way of preparing oneself for hard work or a battle ahead. Our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and to live out our calling as men of God. Here you will find a community of believers working hard to become the men that God created us to be. Now it's time to roll up your sleeves and let's get to work. All right, fellas. I was uh, listening back to some of the old podcasts um, the, the other day. 
Um, and I listened to one of the interviews where somebody pointed out, and if you remember it, if you want to go back and find it, that's up to you. I'm not going to call him out. But I remember um, early on, one of the guys said um, that when I asked him, what, what does it mean to be a man? Or what does it mean to be a man of God? What makes a man of God? His answer um, was pretty simple. He said, there's an old man who once said to me, basically, I try to be a good man, and I trust that Jesus will take care of the rest. And I remember at the time, I wasn't sure how I felt about it. Um, it sounds good on the surface, right? It sounds good. And we even talked about it a little bit on the show, the idea that there is a little bit more to life than that, right? Um, and uh, I, I don't mean to criticize that particular man. I um, actually met him very briefly once. I think he's a wonderful man of God, and I think he does have a good handle on what it means to be uh, God's child. But I think it, it reflects particularly um, generationally, Um, the way a lot of people do think about God and do think about Jesus. And I don't go any further than that. When you're trying to give a simple explanation to a young man about how he should live his life, that might be a good way to start it. That's a great way to start the conversation, but the conversation can't end there. It gives me great concern that the conversation for many people does end there um, because, like I said, at first glance, this sounds so good. He's come to grips with the fact that he's not good enough to earn heaven on his own, and that checks us all the boxes, right? So I know I'm not good enough for heaven. I can't earn salvation on my own. Therefore, I depend on Jesus. Boxes checked. Um, he's going to heaven. And that's probably true. It's most likely true. But it's it's a dangerous sentiment. It, it's a sentiment of a man who doesn't really know Jesus. It's, it's, it's a guy who's hopeless. It's a man uh, without purpose, without any real purpose in his life. And it's a guy who's waiting around to die. That's really what it is. If I'm saying, um, I just try to be as good as I can and, you know, lean on Jesus for the rest. If that's what it means to be a man, you're missing something. That's absolutely what it means to be a sinner. But that's not all it means to be a man. There's so much more. This isn't what God created us to be or what he intended when he redeemed us. Uh, If you wanted us to sit around and wait... (laughs) Why wouldn't, why didn't he just bring the elect to glory in the moment that Jesus rose back from the dead, right? If you, if this is what he wanted, if he wanted us to just sit around and wait, um, why, why are we still here? Why didn't he bring us back to be with him? And that's directly tied to our identity as his children. This idea is hopeless because no man can ever be good. So when I say I try to be good and wait for Jesus to do the rest, the reality is I've never done enough to make God happy, to make God love me, to, to make God care about me. He's died for me. He's given me salvation. But what does that relationship look like? Right? God's still angry and frustrated and disappointed with me because I'm not doing the good he wants me to do. Right? He's not, if this is my view of life and of Christianity and of, and of God, he's not a loving father who sees me as his dear son. He's a dog trainer smacking me on the nose with a newspaper, withholding treats because I'm, I'm a bad dog, right? I'm not a good boy. He's frustrated and he's upset with me because I keep letting him down. But this is so far from the truth. If this is my plan for my earthly life and if this is the way I see God, there's going to be no joy in my existence at all while I'm here below. But that's not what God wants for me and that's not the way he wants me to live. When Jesus died and rose again, he didn't just defeat death. He also broke the power of the law and restored sinful man to righteousness with God. 
since I'm now right with God, that's what righteousness is, right? Being right with God, I can walk with God again as Adam did in the garden. Our intimacy with God has been restored. There's no longer a gap between me and God. He no longer is looking upon our sinfulness. Jesus washed all that away. Now he sees me as a son. Jesus tells us that now, under the new covenant, I have only two rules to follow. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And to love your neighbor as yourself, or as some uh, scriptures translated, to do as you would be done by, right? Those are the two rules, the two laws, now that I'm a redeemed child of God. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, or do as you would be done by. Because my intimacy with God has been restored, it's no longer my mission to keep the Ten Commandments, to keep all the rules as well as I can. It's to do these two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, we still study the commandments, right? And Because these are God's expectations for us. But if Jesus, if I do as Jesus says and love God first and love my neighbor as myself, then if I can do that perfectly, I fulfill the Ten Commandments, right? which as we have established is no longer the goal. The goal isn't to follow the law perfectly. The goal is to follow Jesus, to be in relationship with him, to be intimate with Jesus. If my focus is on fulfilling the law, this is, this is what I'm trying to say here. If my focus, if my emphasis is on the fulfillment of the law instead of following Jesus, I lose track of Jesus' desire for me to shamelessly, fearlessly follow him. I no longer look to Jesus and I start to look to myself to fulfill the law. The easy argument against this idea is that uh, in the book of James, Paul declares that faith without works is dead, right? But didn't God promise that he'd prepare in advance good works for us to do? Will not following Jesus lead me to do good works? Will not I do good works when I follow the loving Savior and follow where he leads me? If I follow Jesus, will I not do what is good? By choosing to emphasize the fulfillment of the law instead of following Jesus, we act like slaves who've been freed but refuse freedom. They return again to slavery, sell themselves right back into slavery. Or a man who's had a great weight lifted off of him and insists that that weight be replaced. As soon as he's out, he takes a deep breath and insists that the weight be replaced again on his chest. He's a fool. It's like a dog, this is what the Old Testament says, like a dog that returns to his vomit, right? It made me sick once, yet I go back and eat it again. And it makes me sick again, and I go back and I eat it again. Why? It's foolishness. We no longer live under the law because Jesus came, put himself under the law, fulfilled the law that we might receive the full rights of sons it's just my job to do the father's will and that means i'm going to live the way he prescribed but that's no longer my emphasis i'm not trying to be as good as i possibly can anymore i'm just trying to follow jesus it's a nuance but it'll change everything about the way you live and love this concept is displayed masterfully in psalm 51 um it's written by david and as we know, David was definitely a sinful man, but he also was a man after God's own heart. So the question is, how can a man who sleeps with Bathsheba and kills her husband, a man who fails to discipline his children to the point where they lead a revolt against him, 
a man who so many times stumbles and falls, how can he be a man after God's own heart? Well, the answer is in Psalm 51. I'm reading from the NIV 1985, 1989, whatever it is. Uh, I like it. It's my favorite translation. So here we go. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire the truth in the inner parts, and you teach wisdom in the inmost place. David acknowledges, first of all, that he's been a sinner the whole time. He's always been a sinner. He never even had a chance to do it right because he was born sinful, sinful from the time sperm met egg from the time his mother conceived him. But he also points out something very, very, very important. In verse 3 and 4, he says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. David looks at God and says, You are the only one I've ever sinned against. You are the only one I've ever sinned against. So my immediate reaction is, What about Uriah? What about Bathsheba? What about your daughter who was raped by her brother and you didn't do anything about it? How can David say, I've only sinned against you? Only you, Lord, have I sinned against. It's because the law is not a covenant between people. The law is a covenant between man and God. Jesus said we need to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. So when I fail to do that, it's not my neighbor I'm sinning against. It's not my brother I'm sinning against. It's not a big deal because I'm violating his rights and freedoms as a human being, although that certainly is a problem. But the real issue here isn't that I'm hurting my brother. The issue is that I've now violated my covenant with my Heavenly Father. God says, if you love me, do what I command. But I've failed to do what he commands betrays my lack of love for him. I cannot love him as I should, and that's why I need a Savior. But that Savior has washed me clean already. It's already done. And if my sin is not against God but against man, if I see my sin as not against my Heavenly Father, not a violation of my covenant with God, but as discretions against my brothers and sisters, then my forgiveness also is stringent on their forgiveness of me. If I see my sin as sins against my fellow man, I not only sacrifice my ability to be forgiven, but I make it my sins less than what they are. If I'm sinning against another sinful human being, there's always some way I can justify it, right? If I'm sinning against somebody else who sinned against me, there's always some way I can weasel out of it. There's always some way I can, you know, make it okay. I can justify it, right? And if I fail to get forgiveness from one of my brothers and sisters on the earth, I'm only left with two options. One is just accept that I'm never going to be forgiven. And since I cannot be forgiven, I cannot go to heaven. Or make excuses and say, well, he didn't forgive me, but... And that portrays a misunderstanding of who God is and what God has done for me. 
If every single one of my sins is committed against my heavenly Father, then his forgiveness washes everything away. And this, then, is why it's important to stress that my job is no longer to fulfill the Ten Commandments perfectly, but to follow Jesus. This is what Jesus is talking about when he, when he talks to the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler says, I've done all these things. I've followed all the commandments. And he says, well, then go and sell everything and come and follow me. There's no point at which we can achieve that goal. So we must be forgiven. But sinful human beings are not always going to perfectly forgive us. And they can't wash away our sin. Forgiveness only comes in the Father. And that's what David continues on to say. He says, Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness with the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. God has every right to cast me out because of what I've done, because of the way I've lived. He has every right to cast me out, but instead he chooses to cleanse and restore me, to redeem me. Because I've been washed in the blood of Jesus, he restores me. He cleanses me and he gives me purpose. Then I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God. The God who saves me and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. And then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. The Lord knows I'm a sinner, and I've only ever sinned against him. All sin is a violation of my covenant with the Heavenly Father. All sin grieves the heart of my Heavenly Father. All sin is committed against God, which is good and terrible. Because only God can condemn and only God can redeem and restore. And that God who has the freedom to condemn instead, in the name of Jesus, who died for me, who has been made my substitute and my redeemer, in the name of Jesus, instead of condemning me as he could and should, he chooses to restore he chooses to cleanse me of my sin, to take away my guilt, to see instead of my sinfulness, to see the perfection of his son. And so I follow him. I sing his praises. I tell the wonders of his mercy and faithfulness to everyone. I shout it from the mountaintops. I speak it in the streets. I sing it along with the radio as I, as I roll into town on Friday mornings. The love of the Lord is far greater than any sin I could ever commit. And because the love of the Lord is greater than my guilt, he can forgive it. Jesus' sacrifice set you free. So don't nullify his sacrifice and continue to live as a slave. Understand that my purpose is no longer to fulfill the law. My purpose is to follow Jesus with my whole heart, mind, and strength and to walk with him now 
and forever. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. If you like what you're hearing on our podcast, make sure you're sharing it with friends and family, men in your life who you think need to hear our message. You can find us on social media, on Facebook under the Gird Up Podcast, and there's a Gird Up community as well there where you can interact with other men on the journey toward Christian manhood. You can find us on Instagram as girdup underscore like underscore a underscore man. If you'd like to help us bring our message to more men just like you all around the world, you can hit up our Patreon account. Type in www.patreon.com forward slash girdup. And finally, please leave a five-star rating or review on whatever platform you use to listen to our podcast, whether it's iTunes or Spotify. What that does is it helps us get more attention in the podcast world and bring more men to our message. Thank you again for listening to our podcast. Thank you for all the ways you support us and help spread the word. Until next time, go gird up and be the man that God created you to be.